everyone, and welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I am Colin McFader, and with me as always is my co-host, Clark Coffey. How's it going? It's going really well. How are you doing, Colin? I'm great. I'm I know you've been busy. Here, yeah. Yes, yes, and, I have. And I know yeah. you've been busy, and it'll be exciting to talk about that later on, but you've been mm-hmm. in pre-production. You're getting ready to... To begin filming and that's exciting so we can yeah. talk about that later but thanks for making some space in your schedule to do no worse to do this episode uh yeah, talking about shallow grave shallow grave i was gonna yeah. say it but i was like no i don't want to steal your intro i don't <laughs> want to steal go, your yeah. intro i was like i was like wait if i just pause i know cullen will say yeah it. i got <laughs> it in there i got it in there that's yeah, right but shallow grave danny boyle's uh 1994 um movie uh based all in uh the Edinburgh, Glasgow area, Scottish film. That's right. Um, this is a movie you chose to do. I did. Um, this was your your week. And so uh, why don't you kind of describe Talk your, little, yeah. I guess, relationship with this movie the first time you saw it? And uh, Yeah, yeah, sure. So so basically, um, so I, I did choose the film, and I have to say, a shout out to my wife, Amber. She was instrumental in the choosing of this film. I, uh, I was kind of just talking out loud to myself, and I was thinking, well, what, what film would I like to do next? What film would I like to do next? And it's tough, right? Because, you know, you don't want to pick something that's, like, super, super obvious, that, that's kind of been discussed a million times. But, of mm-hmm. course, at the same time, generally those films are so fantastic that, I mean, you could talk about them forever. So I, I certainly wouldn't blame anybody for ever doing that. And, obviously, we've discussed films that are... Uh, you know, widely known and oft discussed. So we've even done that. But I was just trying to think of something like slightly off the beaten path. And, you know, one of the like my favorite eras of film, if you want to call it that, is this this time period in the early mid 90s where independent film, uh, especially American, but around the world, I mean, independent film had this huge resurgence. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, this is also a formative period of time in my life. I am in high school. I am, you know, really kind of coming into my own as far as like my awareness of film and my my love of film is like really moving just from kind of like being an audience member to to wanting to do this and really, you know, watching film and analyzing it and thinking about it. So, you know, some of my favorite filmmakers come from this era. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, what would be an interesting film to, so when Amber, my wife said, Shallow Grave, I thought that's an excellent, slightly less obvious example and representation of this time period of film. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's heavily, heavily inspired by, uh, you know, Blood Simple, for example, the Coen Brothers' first film. Uh, and it, not only was the, kind of the film itself from you know, an artistic perspective inspired by that, but the financing was actually inspired by how the Coens financed Blood Simple. Um, you know, independent financing, you know, going out and finding dentists, you know, for example, to, to invest in their film. Uh, it was also inspired a lot by Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Soderbergh's film. Um, so, you know, American independent film really inspired this film. And, you know, at the time in the UK, there wasn't a lot of this type of type of filmmaking being made. Um, it's also another kind of thing I think that was really happening in the early 90s. In addition to the independent film was, you know, film 
that was made for a younger audience, but wasn't made, you know, by older people for a younger audience. It's it's mm-hmm. film being made by young people for a young audience, you know, because before that, sure, there's always been, you know, teen movies and things and coming of age films. But usually it's, you know, at least in the U.S., it was stuff like Porky's and Animal House, you know, it was kind Greece. of, <laughs> and, and it, yeah. you know, so it's like the people were have always been targeting films toward a younger audience. But I mean, I feel like there's a difference here. There's and I think right off the bat, we'll get into this in a second, you know, the film kicks it off and it just says out loud that this is a film that's made for a younger audience. Um, so I thought that was unique about it because I think that's another kind of movement, right? There's this hipness to the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, at the time, there, was just, there wasn't a lot of that being made uh, in the UK. So I think that was important. And I think its influence kind of permeated that, of course, plus two years later, Train Spotting. I mean, the two of those films together had, I think, a huge impact on, you know, stylistically um, on, on film around the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, definitely. so that was yeah. So that's kind of why why I selected the film. Now, as far as you know, my first viewing of it, my goodness, you know, it's, see, this is the thing we <laughs> with all these old films from the '90s and things. It's like I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember I, except to say that it was absolutely. I mean, I very much remember watching it, and I very much you know remember the 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 era of this film and its impact to me you know with reservoir dogs pulp fiction clerks i mean i could go on and i could name a million films and and they're all quite different with blood simple for example um also sex lies and videotape so you know just I, you, there are many dozens and dozens and dozens of these films but i mm-hmm. really remember it being a part of that um and of course you know danny boyle has gone on to be an extremely successful director. And of course, Ewan McGregor has gone on to be, you know, one of the most successful actors around. Um, so, I mean, he's even a Jedi, for crying out loud. <laughs> he, is, he is that, yes. <laughs> who would have thought? The Jedi, Obi-Wan, yeah. Yeah, who would have um, thought? I, I think what's interesting that about what you just said, too, um, about, like, independent cinema and stuff is we did, I think, have a similar conversation in an earlier episode about mm-hmm. um, kind of the, like, liberalization or liberation, sorry, not liberalization, yeah. liberation of, like, of filmmaking in the 90s because that was kind of when, um, you know, a lot of formats like 16mm were coming into play. Um, right. And then, of course, in the late 90s, you had really early digital, like, video. Sex, lies, um, and videotape, for yeah, example. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think it's this movie, I don't think it's a coincidence that something like this kind of exists within that, that uh, era. However, what I will say is that it's super different than like the American independent movie, like stylistically, you know, uh-huh. a lot of films, of course, were kind of inspired um, even at the time by like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and stuff like that. And uh, Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. um, whereas this film really definitely, and perhaps being an ocean away is the reason, um, but also perhaps because Boyle had a very, you know, unique vision for the way that he wanted to make this movie that it's very much stylistically its own thing yeah um that that there are there's similar dna um but yeah it's really interesting to see how unique this is and how unlike a lot of other not only american but also other british independent film and and another important thing to kind of um discuss contextually about this movie as well is that it's um 
it kind of came in an era where there wasn't really a lot of influential British film being made. Mm. Um, that, like, if you think of the late 80s, um, early 90s in British film, it's like, okay, what is there? Yeah. Um, there is, like, the James Bond movies, which, are, of course, the two main producers on those are Americans. Right, right. Um, and it's, like, MGM. And, and while those are very much, you know, I think... I mean, I feel like by the end of the seventies, I just consider them American films, basically. Exactly, exactly. And it was like Dalton and Pierce Brosnan. You're right. Um, But other than that, like you can't. Of course, I'm not saying that I can't think of any British films from you know late eighties, early nineties. But can you really think of like a British film from that era that was like really influential or kind of like a showstopper in terms of like redefined itself? And I think that this movie in particular is super influential. Um, because of the fact that you, even you look at, and I'm not sure how much British film that you've watched, Clark, but we, of course, get a lot of it here in Canada. Right, right. Um, British film and British television. Yes. Um, and, and that's an interesting but, distinction but, because, yeah. of course, uh, we do a little bit more now, but I think especially then, uh, we weren't exposed to a lot. I mm-hmm. mean, of course, you know, if you were to try to watch the BBC, for example, here in the United States in the 90s, uh, good luck. I don't yeah, even know yeah, if there yeah. was a way to. Now, of course, now... It's you can inclu- get the cable packages. You yeah. can get the cable package, or you could just stream it or whatever. And yeah. so there's certainly a greater exposure. But that's a good point. So but I, yeah, I think, yeah. I, mean, I think that the, the, and the, the really ultimate kind of idea behind that as well is that, it, you know, you watch British television, especially from the late 90s, early 2000s, and you can see how much... This movie, and I think Train Spotting as well, mm-hmm. would have influenced that style. Like the style is like down to the quick, like the opening scene of this movie is so um, pulled from for like a thousand pr- pilots right. of British television, um, <laughs> from comedy to drama. Um, yeah. You know, Peep Show uh, is one of my favorite TV so- shows of all time. It was David Mitchell and Robert Webb, okay. and that um, was kind of early two thousands, and they. I think they stopped it in like 2012, but but the primary influence I would say was like that really early 2000s. Even that film, there's like a lot of like stylistic stuff that kind of is is I don't know if it's intentionally taken or perhaps it was just the cultural zeitgeist that kind of yeah. was made up from this and Train Spotting. But I do think it's really interesting to see those those stylistic choices, the the like really really you know British techno music that is used in the opening and right. Um, it's just this, you know, if you want to understand what British life was like in the mid-90s, you can really watch this movie and see that, like, the clothes that they wear, the music that they listen to, yeah, um, the quick editing, um, you know, it all is so uh, just super, super... Um, you know, influential, I think, over and British culture. Kind of and you think of cutting, other, you know, British films. Like, dialogue and... Yes, you know, exactly. And, like, so, like, Shaun of the Dead that came out in, I think, 2005. Um, so, you know, a decade after this. I would even say that, you know, Edgar Wright likely very inspired by a movie like this because Shaun of the Dead, although it's a completely different movie and much more of a comedy than this, this is mm-hmm. a, you know, very black comedy, but Shaun of the Dead, much more an overt comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Edgar Wright's editing style and stuff like that really likely was inspired by um a movie like this so so I, yeah, yeah i do think it's interesting that for a movie that you know i don't think a lot of people really talk about far more people talk about train spotting than this um yes of course it was a larger movie right um but you can really see those seeds kind of start to be planted in this that would then 
I think morph into what Train Spotting became, and it's the same yeah. director, same writer, same cinematographer. So, same not lead. a surprise. Yeah. yeah, it's the same lead, Ewan McGregor. Um, so, not a surprise that the movies are similar and that their their impact was kind of you know still I think to to me everlasting. Yeah. Um, how but wonderful think, is that, yeah. by the way, just yeah. to kind of point out, I mean, how lucky, and I don't know, not, it's not luck, of course, they, they worked hard, and I'm sure there was like a long and kind of thorough kind of organic kind of coming together of these people, but how wonderful that you've got so many people who wanted to work on this, you know, further films together. I mean, I think the, the chunk of this team also worked on A Life Less Ordinary, and mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. they, so really, obviously, like, they enjoyed working with each other, they clicked, they're making great films. I personally think A Life Less Ordinary, 1997, is a much underrated film. I actually think it's it's quite fun, um, but it's, it's kind of fallen through the cracks, and is kind of lost nowadays but right regardless i mean gosh that's like i feel like that's what i would you know love to be able to find i mean I, i'm a little bit jealous i'm like mm -hmm. it's it's such a joy to find you know when you find a core group of people you work well together you make good films together it's hard to find uh yeah, totally. so anyway that always totally. kind of stands out to me when i see that you've got a core group of uh of people who continue to work together over and over and over and i do feel like just to kind of digress for a second i think that you and in did, am I am I making something up? Did Ewan Ewan uh, Ewan and Danny kind of have a bit of a falling out at some point? I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure. But I know they, they returned to each other for T2. They yeah. did. They could. They returned for T2, but I feel like there might have been just a hair of some kind of little bit of falling out there. But regardless, mm. anyway, so that always stands out. Perhaps, to me. yeah. That always stands out to me because I'm looking for that myself. But it, come back to it. But well, yeah, I mean, I mean, and so I, I think to me also, I'm you know to get perhaps more into like my reaction of the film and like yeah, what yeah. I what I thought about it. So I'm somebody just to preface. Um, I don't really think, especially when it comes to art, that there's any such thing as like objectivity. Okay. Um, so I always watch movies with that lens, and that's kind of how I'm watching them. So even if I don't necessarily gel with a film, or I don't necessarily like agree with choices if that makes any sense sure um and we've talked about that in the past yeah we've, yeah, yeah i i still always you know appreciate and or try to appreciate and try to get in the headspace of like the choices that are being made and the intentions that are being made totally. um and so yeah and i i definitely found myself enjoying the movie um there were certain things that that i think um were definitely interesting and and you know i think that could have been or had they been maybe fleshed out a little bit more, I think I, I personally would have likely enjoyed it more. And one of those aspects is definitely the the kind of, um, I guess the way that the plot is structured. Uh -huh. it, it seems to focus very heavily on certain things and then almost skip over other things that I, I think, and perhaps, mm -hmm. you know, again, I, I haven't read the screenplay for this movie. I'm not sure how similar it was or if, how, how much had to change because they shot it in 30 days and, you know. Right. So I'm not sure if there was like changes, but, you know, one of the things that really jumped out at me watching this is, of course, the character David, um, who is played by Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. Um, he um, goes kind of, he's kind of starts out as like the main character, not the main character, sorry, but the character who is like put together. He seems like, the normal, most put he, together. Yeah. He's like kind of like, I don't think we should do this. And then as they start like, you know, spoiler, as they discover <laughs> the dead body and decide to bury the dead body and steal the money um he's kind of the one that's really hesitant and then but he has to cut up the body and sort right. of that drives him they insane. draw they draw straws and yeah and he's yeah. and they kind of build that he up gets the short he, straw he's the one that's like i'm not going to be able to do this i won't be able to do this i can't do this and then yeah. of course of course he's the one he that draws the it. short straw so he's got to just to be clear and he's dismembering the body 
of a flatmate, a brand new flatmate that yeah, they, who they, they hardly even know. They yeah. don't right. They hardly even know they were interviewing flatmates, which I think is is a really fun. Just a just two seconds, just to interject this. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, totally. A super a super fun way and a very effective way to introduce the characters and to, for us to kind of develop an understanding. Uh, they've got the these flatmates who are interviewing a potential fourth additional new flatmate, and it's just so fun to see these characters interacting and how they're kind of, you know, just, I mean, really terrorizing, quite frankly, just being like horrifically rude and mean mm-hmm. to these potential new flatmates. Uh, and this is the guy that they settle on and he moves in like his first night and he ODs and dies yeah. on the yeah. bed. <laughs> well, also, I mean, I think that just to, again, to point out some things about that opening scene, it really does a really wonderful job, I think, of establishing tone. Yes. And that you kind of realize that this movie's not necessarily, like, it's not really going for, like, realism. It's definitely a heightened sense It's theatrical. Sense of, it's very yeah, it's theatrical. definitely very theatrical. And it sort of feels almost shot-like theater and because the, yeah. the, the set is huge. It almost feels like a theater set. Um, I feel and, like But, like, even works. just, like, the, the like, the, the um, what's her name? What's the, uh... uh Carrie, Carrie Fox. Fox. Carrie um, Fox, So yeah. she, she like just comes out topless in front of her like they've got this like weirdly casual like yes. almost like almost like they're a thruple <laughs> like yeah. weirdly enough like that well, they've got is. this like there, and that's part ca- of it. yeah you definitely get there's certain moments where you do have this kind of sexual tension mm-hmm. uh that that kind of exists between the three of them it's 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 not even remotely something that is uh i don't think they don't go there it's not like one of those films about like a love triangle at all but it certainly does play into you know it's almost kind of a mexican standoff ish kind of thing at the end as far as yeah. you know, who's taking the money and this kind of thing but but yeah i mean i and i think it works um mm-hmm. um but just to, to get back to, to the back, um yeah. yeah just so essentially yeah they've got this this dead body they've got to dispose of and and the one who is the most hesitant about doing it the most sure that he won't be able to do it is of course you know the one that has to do it and that has to do straws. it of course right um, and so then that kind of, you know, drives him insane. He starts living in the attic with the money and is going <laughs> like drilling holes in the ceiling so he can look down, see yeah. these things. And so what I realized or what I noticed or what kind of really stood out to me while I was watching it was just that it, I, I felt it was a little bit unearned. I felt that hmm. he just kind of went from being this timid kind of like nervous guy to suddenly like there wasn't really... You know, I, and I sort of mentioned this in our pre-conversation, Clark, but where I, I find that a lot of times the things that kind of work, like it's kind of like a, if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. And I think that in these types of situations where you have a character going and saying, you can kind of do, and this isn't at all to say that there are only two options to do these things. Of course, other people have done very wonderful ways of going outside the box with this. But the two most common are either that you have a character go slowly insane and you keep kind of, you know, bringing in the subtleties and and have these like moments where they're just sort of like oh they start to go insane and will they won't they and what whatnot mm-hmm. um that or you can have a moment where like it's like a snap like they've just suddenly been like okay i'm insane now and i'm crazy <laughs> um and again not to say that those are the only two options and i'm movies insane have done now. plenty of other things right um i found that this movie almost did neither and didn't mm-hmm. really go even a third way that it just kind of felt like like it, I, I think it was the one point of this movie where I almost felt the screenplay was on the wall, where mm. I was like, okay, he's going crazy now because he has to, and that's because okay. the screenplay's calling for it, and so he's got to go up and live in the attic because that's that's what's written. And I didn't really feel like I never really felt like every time he went up to the attic, I was just kind of like, is he in like, is yeah, this a what's bit going on? or is he actually insane now or what? And, right. it, and so I just thought that like 
it, I almost feel like it needed more directional clarity. Okay. Um, that it needed to really like, and again, it wasn't that it was hard to understand. I'm not saying that it like needed to be spelled out, but rather I think that like a moment like that is really ripe for tension and it's really ripe for storytelling. Yeah. And I almost felt, I almost felt like it was sort of like a missed opportunity, like that they yeah. could have played with that a lot more and made it kind of a like a lot of fun to have this character going insane but rather he just kind of does it and and goes off and lives in the attic right. and it's like I this, mean, I, this I think that's yeah. that's a fair point I think it's it's a completely fair point and I and I in hindsight now I have to say it didn't it didn't jump out to me in the same way that it stood out to you uh mm-hmm. I think I did kind of notice something but you know my interpretation of it was a little bit different i think you know most films that are that have this kind of plot structure and are kind of in this thematic space they they tend to often focus on that that's that's kind of a a focal point for the story is that you're going to have a character going through this and that now we're going to kind of make this about their their grip on reality or grip on sanity slip, or it's going to be about how guilt or their conscience eats them from the inside. And, you know, I think that's a very common theme. And so I think we're often expecting that to be Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. that a film will focus on. And, you know, I I just don't think this film wanted to be that. I I just don't think that they wanted to go down that route. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, and I totally agree. Yeah, I I think that it was it was not the intention or or that rather it was the intention totally to to not go down that route. Yeah. Yeah, So so in other words, I don't think it was like, you know, oh, we meant to do this, but we failed to communicate it in our Mm -hmm. in our in our script or the execution of the script. Rather, I just think it was a choice that, you know, this film is about something else. And, you know, maybe it's about, you know, the indifference of of our current uh, culture or it's about materialism or it's about, Mm -hmm. you know, any number of other things potentially. But and maybe that's the maybe that's even part of the point was that, um, you know, it's they don't go into great detail about this person kind of losing their sanity because maybe there's not much sanity to have been lost in the first place, even Mm -hmm. though, uh, you know, I think. You know, these characters, I mean, it, when we first see them, I mean, they have what by any appearances would be a very expensive apartment in in, in, in a city, any city. I mean, it's yeah. huge, right? Especially huge. today. <laughs> and and it looks quite nice. And uh, I never lived in an apartment that nice in a city ever in my life. Or that and, big. Uh, yeah, you've their got, kitchen is like the size of most regular apartments. <laughs> I, yeah, seriously. They've got like, you know, an 800 square foot kitchen for crying out loud. And, you know, one of them is a doctor. The other works at an accountant, accounting firm, or was it law firm? I can't. He's remember. a chartered accountant. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's what I thought. So he's an accountant, and then you have our third character, Ewan, is a journalist. Mm-hmm. And at journalism. that time, newspapers still existed, and you might even have made a decent salary if you were a journalist yeah. for a newspaper. So uh, unlike when I was a, <laughs> worked for a newspaper in two thousand, <laughs> but <laughs> but back then you actually probably could have made a decent living. So and you know, and they're well put together. They're well dressed. They're hip. They're you know they're sharp and they're making fun of everybody. They all the seem time. to get along. They're kind of in their little bubble of coolness, mm-hmm. right? And so you know maybe that's the point is that with all these things at the end of the day, uh, there's maybe not a whole lot there inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and you yeah. know the, the set kind of alludes to this, right? You could make an argument that this huge, wide open space that is on its surface quite bright and cheery is actually quite empty inside. And of yeah. course, we're introduced to these characters. They're ridiculing people they don't even know. I mean, 
you know, they're inviting people over to the house to look at the flat and they're, you know, give, they're like grilling them in this like yeah. grueling and an embarrassing, you know, series of questions. And they're Which, and ju- just as an aside, too, it's actually interesting that that ca- one of the characters that they interview comes back later on in the movie when they're at like that little like almost dinner thing. Right. And I thought I, I honestly, because he came back, I thought I expected him to come back a third time and like have a. a you know something to do with the end of the movie but he, something you know, course, more yeah just a little aside but yeah because there's just, just that, that one character that he really yeah, does it, seem to torment yeah where um, they're doing that is it uh, boy i'm gonna mess this it's the up. dinner for the it's the sealy dancing is that how you pronounce it it's the scottish sealy dancing the, yeah yeah the, yeah 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 they're at that that formal kind of black tie and kilt uh party right yeah. right so uh, yeah but 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 regardless not trying to talk you out of your your uh your opinion on that uh but this is the great thing about this stuff you could see it you know several different ways for mm-hmm. sure and and i um, totally yeah and that's one of those things that again when i say like you know i think that everything is ultimately you know subjective um yeah. i don't see that as danny boyle just failing to represent insanity i think that it was very much the intention of the film like you said to to not focus on that um i just to me think that uh I, I felt like it would have perhaps added to the movie had it been included. Yeah, fair. Um, yeah. Maybe not, though. You know, we don't know because it's, it's not in the movie, so there's nothing right. that we can do to, you know, imagine. All we we'll can do is imagine over. if it was We'll have there. to hop over to a parallel universe and see where... Yeah, where that was. Maybe you and I in a parallel universe are doing this podcast right now, and we're actually yeah. talking about a different movie that Danny Boyle made called Shallow <laughs> Grave, where they focused on... <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're like, I don't like that at all. Um, no, I, I do think that to go yeah, and you're about... complaining about that direction. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No matter what, that's a lesson for any filmmaker out there. No matter what, I will complain about your movie. You know, but... <laughs> one of the other things I really, I, I kind of quick, because we're, we're, you know, touching on a lot of different things here. Yeah. I, I briefly kind of mentioned the set, but I want to talk, you know, another thing that when you asked me what my mindset was when I picked the film, you know, the other thing that I think is is really important and, and maybe for, for listeners specifically to our podcast, and I think certainly for you and I, uh, is that this film was made for such little money. And I think it's, yes. a, it's a really good example of uh, a, a film that is made on purpose with a budget in mind. We've got almost no money. What can we do? And mm. so, you know, I think this is a good example of minimal location um, and, you know, simple story. And uh, so that was the other kind of that was the other reason. And, yeah, you know, very and low budget. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting how some of the you know choices that you kind of are forced to make can actually end up being, you know, uh, it, being great decisions. You know, it, it's like uh, like the set. It's the I was constraints about. that yeah bring the you out. Constraints, right? Yeah. Like the set I was talking about. I mean, it's this huge set, and they actually it is a set. It wasn't a real flat, but it was actually a set. And Danny had wanted the set to be built quite large. And I, my, I'm only kind of guessing. I, you know, that maybe he wanted it large because he wanted to have space for the crew. He wanted to be able to put the camera in as many places as possible. Yeah. And mm-hmm. without, I guess, and they didn't want to make flyaway walls or something. And uh, and he probably didn't want it to feel, you know, insanely claustrophobic. If you ever try to shoot something interior in like an actual house, it, unless you've got just a giant mammoth house, it 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 looks tiny. You know, I mean, it's. It, it really makes a film feel claustrophobic. And uh, and so I think, you know, we're shooting in one location, so he wanted to have at least some kind of scope. Um, but uh, but they didn't have any money to actually fill it with much. So yes. it, it's yeah. a pretty empty apartment. 
Uh, and so you could think, well, wow, you know, crap, what a, you know, if we've got this like nice big space and we don't have any furniture, we don't have anything in it. What's, you know, oh my gosh. But I feel like it works so well. Uh, mm -hmm. As a symbolic representation of the state of these characters, like so, this, they've got fulfilling lives, quote unquote, but, but they're empty. But it's just they're empty, yeah. yeah. And, and and I think that that to me is kind of the ultimate, you know, at least the theme that I took away from it is yeah, this like this day to day monotony, this emptiness of like your life, even if you have a good paying job and a nice apartment and and good friends, that there's like this this emptiness to just like living life in that way. That and that's kind of again you know this is my interpretation why ian mcgregor's character jumps on the chance to like do something exciting do something different do something you know kind of insane for a and thrill. illegal and yeah for a yeah, thrill exactly for a thrill and look where it gets them so yes, but, and that yeah. leads us into something that i want to you know we can use this film as kind of a, a an example of that that i think might be interesting to explore with you is you know in in watching the film again and and, and i always like to to read a few of the at that time contemporary reviews and kind of see you know how we're, what, what were critics thinking about a film when it was mm -hmm. actually released uh, so that it's in the context of the world in which it was released I always like doing that and one of the things that I one of the critiques that I came across by by a handful of, of critics actually was that they felt like you know so yes this is a film of style and it especially you know for its budget uh, very competently made um, and, and many people even said, and I thought it was interesting and I enjoyed watching it, but, but there were a lot of people who said, but what the hell is the film saying? Like what, mm -hmm. what, what, yeah. what, like, what is the film for? Why we've got all of this, all of this story, but what is it leading up to? We've got these, these, these young people dismembering bodies and, and what, you know, for, for stolen drug money and what is it like, what, you know, they were, I guess they were, you know, it felt to me like they were expecting that, that Danny Boyle, have some kind of you know make some kind of moral statement or have mm -hmm. some kind yeah of, or some of, big of lesson or theme or yeah. lesson or theme and that and and that really stood out to me because i have often you know kind of thought about this idea that uh you know film has to have some kind of didactic stance yes. or, or sometimes even frankly kind of you know propaganda ish mm -hmm. stance versus just like it being has there to be telling you something yeah the, right versus just being there for its own aesthetic like just to exist aesthetically and yeah. and i felt like this is a good example of a film that that kind of brings up that question and so i'd, I'd be interested to discuss that with you know it yeah i mean i, I think that people often have these like check boxes in their mind when they watch a movie that goes like they don't really think about why they have them so it's like okay it's got a clear theme. It's got a clear message. It's got, you know, a three-act structure. It's got, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's, you know, however right. long it goes. Like, I remember when um, the eighth Star Wars movie, I think it was the eighth, The <laughs> Last eighth. Jedi came out. <laughs> and there was a whole bunch of, you know, this is totally, you know, a, a different context and different, right. different movie. But I remember when that came out, there were a bunch of people that were like, well... You know, I didn't like it because there was no lightsaber fight, and I didn't like it because there was no, like, they didn't use the one line that's in every other Star Wars movie, and I was like, yeah, but was the movie good? Right. <laughs> it's like, like, who cares if it doesn't check off the boxes that right. are unrelated? And so to me, that's one of those things that, and I've had this experience plenty, and I'm sure you have as well, in writing movies, especially group writing, or if you're writing and getting feedback from other people, and one of my least favorite questions is like, well, like, what's the theme? You know, like, what is it? What is it about? What is it saying? And it's like, you know, even if I were to answer that question, even if I were to say, and, and there, of course, are times when you do have subtext in mind. And I'm sure that Danny Boyle, in making this movie and, and John, um, 
Hodges, Hodges writing this movie yeah. uh, had had these things perhaps in mind. Perhaps they did, but I'm you know well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I have... think it's inevitable. There's a difference yeah. between subconscious and conscious. There's a difference. Yes. Between, I mean, I I think that there's no way that you can't tell a story without some kind of theme. And but I think that themes because I don't know you know this you try to really yeah people esoteric, try to force it but, right but yeah but themes exist in everything because we yes. are interpretive beings we are well and that's what i mean ultimately right is that that no matter what your theme is that you decide on in production or even writing i guarantee that 99 percent of the audience will come away with a different different message or a different interpretation and so like even my my interpretation about like the like again the this this just monotony of life and stuff like perhaps that wasn't what they were going for at all but that's what i came out of it with and that doesn't make me wrong it doesn't make me any less like you of know, and bring any less enjoyment to the movie. So right. I do think it's interesting, though, that, yeah, people really, and especially, I think, people who who either want to be screenwriters and oftentimes screenwriters themselves, that they, they, they put these, like, checklists of, of, you know, what's good. Whereas I think what's important is um, is what you feel while you're watching a movie. Is, you know, a, a, a good movie to me is something that you go away from talking about because of the feelings that you had, not necessarily because of, like, subtext and things like that. And there, well, there always is, you know, going to be that implied subtext. But, um, but I think, but yeah, yeah. And just, to, I, I, you know, to kind of, you know, and I want to clarify, too, for people listening, you know, what I, I absolutely think that a filmmaker should have a, an opinion. Mm-hmm. Have a perspective and a point of view. Yeah, and have a point of view, and that those that that a writer should, that a director should. I mean, ideally, every single person involved in the project has a perspective and a point of view. So that's not at all what I'm talking about. I, I'm mm-hmm. talking about rather that, you know, um, I think there's, you know, that I, it's okay for a film to exist without having to, you know, kind of without it being intended to teach right having some kind of moral instruction or or ulterior motive behind the story you know or that's kind of the thing that i'm talking about i think that the classic example is like i've met a lot of people who see jaws as like an allegory for um brody's drinking problem chief brody's because he's always drinking in the movie and that it's like this and it's so a, that's what i mean is it's like if you go if you watch it's a the movie, drunken hallucination away, yes not exactly. even really yeah, the shark is the bottle um but but if you know if you take that away from the movie totally fine that's cool um but i don't think that jaws is any less yeah without that interpretation right like i right. don't think that spielberg when well, making it was like making active goodness, choices to yeah. i mean thank goodness spielberg didn't and that's okay like that's great right because jaws can represent any kind of like unknown threat right mm-hmm. anything that's a threat to humanity but but the point is though is that spielberg i don't think if my recollection of the film made a bunch of like overt explicit commentaries on yeah. how a person should handle that threat or you know, he he wasn't making moral valuations left and right, uh, yeah. where a lot of films do. Now, again, like, and and I'm not saying that that people should make those films if they want to uh, make all kinds of film. It's just specifically kind of saying uh, addressing the issue that some people think that uh, art has to exist beyond just the aesthetic mm-hmm, that it's required. Yeah, or, that... or even or even like I mean, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting to me is that. I mean, obviously, we are storytelling machines. Human beings are storytelling machines. And every single person on the face of this planet, um, if they are conscious, 
can tell a story and understand yeah. story. It story is just another word for how people process the world that they live in. We create narratives because that's how our brain works for mm -hmm. understanding our lives. That's just that's that's it, right? Yeah. We we yeah. think about our past, we experience our future, and we worry about our I mean sorry, we experience our present and we worry about our future. We have a first, second, third act. It's like, you know, things have a beginning, middle, end. We, we're always putting our life experiences and our memories in narratives so that we can try to understand causal relationships. If I do this, what will happen? If this happens, what will I do? It's, we're constantly doing that. And so there's no, there's no way, no, none of us can tell a story that doesn't contain important themes about what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. But I guess the point is to let those happen kind yeah. of organically as you are telling a story for the sake of telling a story as opposed to being overly explicitly conscientiously trying to force th uh, ideology or yeah. moral themes and and it's okay and, and again especially thinking that that's necessary like feeling bad on yourself or feeling that's down I mean. for not having those things and, it's okay if and you so want to you know do that but it's again, another okay way to put don't. it too is just that like people always they always talk about this this idea that it's like oh oh you know the critique of a movie is like oh it was all style and no substance right to me they're the same thing style is substance there can be a film that is is I visually beautiful you know that I think that filmmaking not even going beyond the idea that film is a, a visual medium um, going beyond that that it's that every every single shot in a movie period is infused with a director's point of view is infused with the cinematographer's point of view and the actor's performance and yeah you could be you could be watching the most simple story be told in five minutes on 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 film um and there would still be such you know such a point of view infused with those things just by by the nature of how movies are made um and so i think that that is a really important way to watch movies and that I, I think that, it, again, very much something that's related to this movie, because as you mentioned, a lot of people were sort of saying, like, what is that about? What is what is this movie trying to say? And it's it's sometimes that's not necessarily important and, or the point. It's and, not necessarily something that has to be talked about. And, and, um, exactly. And I think there's an interesting irony here, frankly, and, and like especially as it relates to like what we're trying to do right now. I think there's an interesting irony in that, you know, like what we're doing on this podcast, right? We are we are trying our best sometimes with great success sometimes maybe with less success but we're trying our best to articulate our experience of films right mm -hmm. that, that's what we're here doing and we're you know we're doing this by talking about how it looks and how it sounds and how the actors performed and you know the context of the film and da, 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 all these other different ways that we can kind of experience it but we're trying to take our experience our feelings of it and put it into words for people to, to share with them and, and hopefully improve upon their experience of the film or talk them into seeing the film or, you know, mm -hmm, who knows. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think it's interesting. I feel almost like, this is me kind of riffing here, that, you know, the more a film is, is kind of approaches this, this, you know, unapproachable, perfect cinema, which is like this, you know, completely visual experience this kind of you know totally enveloping aesthetic experience the more mm -hmm. a film approaches kind of a pure art it's it becomes harder and harder to articulate mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. because it's more and more subconsciously affecting because it's 
I feel like that's the point of art to great extent. And it's the, it, that's what aesthetic awe is. When you see something that's so beautiful that it, it just goes right past your conscious brain. And it's something you feel. You feel it. You feel it in your body. It's a, it's yeah. a physical, experiential thing. And then if you're asked to dissect that, it's challenging. And the, the more a piece of art is, it inspires an aesthetic awe, the harder it is to kind of talk about. So well, I think uh, it's it, also one of the reasons that one of the more interesting things to do is to go back and rewatch a movie that you disliked, that you saw a long mm -hmm. time ago, and find that you love it now. <laughs> oh, that's there happened a lot to me of so movies many like times. That. Yeah, oh, the words like in, in a, Blade yeah, Runner think, was a movie like that. The first time I watched Blade Runner, I, I thought it was trash. Now, yeah. admittedly, I saw it with the Harrison Ford voiceover, but first time I saw Blade Runner, I thought it was trash. I thought this is such a cold piece of art or po a cold piece of film. Sorry, I didn't even think it was art. I was like, this is such a cold piece of film. It's so emotionless. It it looks pretty sure, but but I I have nothing from this. I'm getting nothing from this. Mm -hmm. And then. I've seen it. I don't even know how many times since, and it's one of my favorite films of all time. I'm, well, it's like I'm, me, and, and we all know how you know if you've been listening to this podcast how I feel about Malick. I'm a right. big Malick fan. Yeah. But when I first saw Malick, when I was like much younger, I was probably like late middle school when I kind of first. I think I don't remember which one I saw of his first, but I just remember being like, "Oh, it's so pretentious. It's just like you know, you might as well just film like an apple falling from a tree, and like that's the whole movie, and you're just you're, right. you're not saying anything. You're just trying to be weird and out there right. and flowery." And then I, you know, as I got older, I started rewatching all these movies of Malick's, and I was like, "Geez, like I, I like it really penetrated me in a way that I was like, yeah, this like the the the." the underlying you know even not again not even to go with underlying message but rather the underlying tone of well you these opened films. yourself up to it and, I, yeah. and that just illustrates yeah. too how you know art is is not just about the creator it is mm -hmm. at least equally as much about the person who's uh observing or experiencing yeah. that art and, and and so perhaps in, a, in, in you know in 10 years i'll rewatch this movie and i will and this isn't a movie that i disliked by any means but perhaps i will get way more out of this film it'll be a different the experience. next time i watch then yeah right so it'll You'll be, be interesting a to kind person. of yeah yeah mm -hmm. and that's and that's what's always so intriguing to me so yeah so you know point just being and we can kind of wrap up here pretty soon. But yeah, the mm -hmm. point just being that I think this was a, an interesting example. I think a piece of uh, a film can exist uh, to tell a story that doesn't have to have this really kind of conscientiously planned, you know, value statement. This master plan. Attached yeah, to yeah. It, you know, and I'm okay with that. And, and I'm curious too. I do want to ask one last question here before, because this is in talking about all of this is kind of. Uh, I'm curious to compare notes on this, on your viewing experience in general, not just this mm -hmm. film, but in any. You know, one of the things that I find happening to me is that I get, I, I, I focus quite a bit more on the visual storytelling, mm -hmm. the, you know, the visual aspect of the storytelling in a film than I do sometimes dialogue, but especially plot. And it's so mm -hmm. funny that I will be so focused on watching a film and I kind of sometimes can get lost as to what's going on in the plot in a literal sense because yeah. I'm like so focused on on kind of trying to absorb all of these visual aspects of the film. I'm curious what like what do you find you tend to kind of focus on? No, I, I'm totally the same. I, Are you? Um, yeah. Plot is the last thing even I if think I even about. if it's even if it's a matter of like I, I fully understand it. I usually will be the last thing I even comment on in terms of I, or right. ra rather the least important thing of whether I liked it or not. A Isn't movie can funny? have a plot that I don't care about at all. And and so that's why I think it's important to, like when we discussed at close range, mm -hmm. um, 
which is a movie that, again, I was sort of talking about in when we were talking about it, how I was like, well, this thing kind of fell a little bit flat for me plot-wise, but the reason that I still enjoyed that movie so much was because the, the movie had a really rich, rich visual language. Right. And so even though there were things that I could critique about the plot or critique about the way that the story was told, to me, that's, that's you know, second to... Well, what did I feel? How did the visuals yeah. make me feel? How did? And it's not to say that it's purely visual, as in just like always oh, the framing good. I think you, no, you know, no, it's, it's, it's much it's... more. It's rich. It's about film being a, a visual story. You know, do the do the visuals ooze with what what is what the director is trying to say and the right. point of it's... view and the choices being made? Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 That's that's interesting, and it's it's funny, of course, and this this bears out. This plays out in our podcast because it's almost never that we discuss any plot based aspect. No. Yeah. We don't just go films. through. I mean, I yeah. feel like, hey, if you want to know the plot, see it. But it, but but, and I think a lot of people who are really focused on plot, and you talked about people who have like you know kind of a checklist of you know things that they have to kind of see in a film. I mean, yeah. plot is clearly very important to people. And I think, uh, again, not to digress too much, but, you know, plot, it's the importance of plot seems to be ever increasing as television. And I'm going to call streaming now television. We watch it on their television and it's really no different materially than what television was in the past. Mm, in the way it's made. No commercials, but, but, you know, television is very much about plot. It's, it's a, uh, writer's medium it's dialogue driven but you know plot is important because when people want to make nine seasons of a tv show you've got to have a lot of stuff going on for a long period yeah, of time you got to know where to go so, so yeah. often you'll have i mean just plot after you know you've got an a b c d story you've got just plot out the yin yang you know mm-hmm. um and this is kind of why i much prefer film is that generally speaking it's it, yes there are things actually literally happening but it's much less about plot and yeah. often my favorite films have very little plot period and it's not about what's happening so sometimes i think the same people who get hung up on what's the theme and what is the director trying to say morally about something are often also plot is very important to them yeah um, yes exactly yeah. Yeah. and 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 to each their own too by the way i want to say yeah it, I, I don't think either of us are saying that that watch that those the movie films in that way is exist. wrong I just, or or uh, that like there's a wrong yeah. way to interpret things or, or wrong thing to get out of movies, but rather that I think both of me and you agree on that when it comes to us, yeah. and perhaps you know that's been made very clear through the, the way that we've discussed <laughs> these movies over like, the past little while. <laughs> yeah, it's just that we yeah we just tend to I I for sure tend to gravitate more towards you know the to to use a very contemporary term. The vibes, the, vibes. <laughs> the, the you know what was I what was I feeling and what was I experiencing while I was watching absolutely. as opposed to going like well what was that exactly about yeah um, absolutely well but, thank, yeah. yeah yeah well excellent well I uh, will wrap it up here now uh, thanks for being willing to watch Shallow Grave um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed our conversation about it and it's interesting how some of these films can kind of bring up you know larger kind of more broad questions about art and film which is always enjoyable and I, I, I and I could discuss these kind of things forever, but yes, we won't yeah. take forever here. Uh, but all right, well, uh, I, I hey, uh, break a leg on your shooting. We yeah, will, thank you. Uh, we're gonna we're going to definitely delve into some of that in a, in another episode, I think, or even maybe several episodes. So look forward to that, everybody. Mm-hmm. But break a leg shooting, and uh, everybody out there listening, we will catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm. See ya. <laughs>